You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, A.J. Kirstead. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with the friends of the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday. This week, I have senior reporter Anne-Marie Timmons. Welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. So you have an article that's going to be coming out today on Ken, Nor- Ken Norton, who's retiring as uh, head of NAMI, which is uh, a mental w- mental health organization here in the state. And there, there are a lot of things that have developed over his uh, span of time with the company. Yeah, he is retiring after 20 years. He's been executive director for less than that, but um, they're much longer. And when I think about his time, 20 years in that job, say, he has brought so many things online that you just take for granted now. There was no suicide prevention plan in the state or program prior to his arrival. Instead, if you were contemplating suicide, you were given a safety plan by your counselor in which you said, I promise not to hurt myself. And to his point, if you thought you had a choice, you probably wouldn't need any help. So we became the leader in the country on the suicide prevention program they do. It's called Connect. The police were the first responders to mental health uh, crisis calls. They had no training. Now it's regular practice for police departments to send their officers through NAMI's uh, 40-hour crisis intervention training program. That's just common practice now. Um, and there's small steps too, like, you, you know, they didn't think it was appropriate for people in mental health crisis to be taken to the state hospital under involuntary commitment admission situations and handcuffs. I mean, so there's big and there's small steps. Um, people with lived experience, those of us with mental illness, um, our experiences weren't considered valuable they really changed that. And now when a crisis response team is sent out, someone who does have lived experience goes with the team. That's a valued um, insight now. So it's really changed. I know we focus a lot on all the shortfalls of our system and those are there for sure. Um, but it was it was interesting just to look back and see how much has happened here. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that we always seem to think because so many, there's so many, so much classic literature from the the fifth, the forties to the seventies. Like when there there were a lot of absolutely terrible things that used to happen back then. So that's always the thing we grow up thinking about. And I'm 34, so there, there was still a lot of those. Those books are basically the standard, and it was before a lot of this more uh, modern uh, discussions over mental health. And the last 20 years have been a total change of pace in when it comes to mainstream awareness of mental health issues, suicide prevention. We changed our whole uh, phone numbering system this past yes. year to, to, yes. to do that. Right. In uh, July, there will be a nationwide number 988. And to bring that online, it's more complicated than we want to get into. It's horrible. <laughs> moment. It's horrible. But it did require like dialing one now and this and that. But the result is that we will have this 988 number or you call and there's just someone there at all times. We have that set up right now, that service, but it's a number that has like 10 different digits in it that you would never remember. So come July, you just have to know 988. Uh, so yeah, it's really, it's really amazing. I think what has brought that along is definitely advocacy from folks like Ken at NAMI and all the community mental health centers, and then people being willing to share their stories about struggling with mental illness or 
um, managing mental illness. Um, so you've seen that's hard though, because it's scary. I can yeah. just speak from experience. I shared my own account a few, several years ago now, and at the monitor, I did a series on mental health was police shootings in part. And I wanted someone who finally figured out mostly how to manage their illness. Um, no one was willing to share their story because there's so much stigma. And so I decided to write, write my own account um, in my of my many hospitalizations. And still today, I will get notes occasionally or emails saying, I just found your story. It helped me talk to my mother or my daughter. And there's nothing special about my story except I was willing to share it. And yeah. so we all, a lot of us have those stories. We all know someone has. So I think as we tell those stories that it will become less a stigma and that's how we move forward. And I think kids get that. It's yeah. not even a thing to hide anymore. So I do think we're going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, what's what was... I mean, those are those basically the big things he was looking back on as his biggest accomplishments. I mean, I'd imagine just just the general awareness in in our communities was big, and I, I'd imagine the the police we're being able to work with police departments, which are has been a huge subject of discussion since the George Floyd riots, especially uh, after after his his death at the hands of Derek Chauvin. Um, that. Uh, that's just new awareness. And now I've seen NAMI considerably in the news over the last couple of years since, since that happened. I think that's right. Um, I think the national media, the, the story there on police is definitely that there's a lot of police shootings. It's, um, you know, often black males that are being shot and killed without much evidence or reason for con that level of reaction. Here in New Hampshire, it is a, has been a different story um, while there have been too many shootings of people who call 911 for mental health help, I think there were six in a short period when I wrote that story. I do think it gets overlooked at how much work departments have done to get up to speed, um, you know, with their community mental health centers, trying to figure out what do we do when we go out? Because that for a long time was not part of their training. Now, NAMI did bring in mental health training to the police standards and training program. So now all officers get some exposure. They hear from people who have been on the other end of those calls seeking help. Um, so they were asked to do a job for a long time they had no training for. Yeah. And, and that's really changed. And I think that's how we, we get going and we move forward. Yeah, I've had some great conversations with uh, Professor Brochure over at the law school, and now he's on the police commission over in Portsmouth. <laughs> Good luck, Portsmouth, aside from that. <laughs> he's He's got some great ideas, and uh, it's one of the things where he's he, he understands the drive to want to go to move to counselors to take over that first responder, but often that's not possible because of the situation the person's in. It's not the safest thing to just send someone who doesn't have that self-protection aspect of their job or being able to protect other people that are in that situation. And police are very are going to continue to be very important in that. I mean, so we've seen some cities, uh, left, very left-leaning cities, try and just downgrade their, their police officers so that there's not as many of them, and they end up going right back to it. So the better solution definitely is to train these officers. It, it does. I think that partnership um, of police going out sort of in partnership with a mental yeah. health person or a peer support person. We saw the same thing with domestic violence many, yeah. many years ago. A woman, um, Susan Sarno was her name. She was estranged from her husband and he 
tracked her down at a campground and found her one night very mad because they were no longer together, beat her quite badly with a flashlight. And she was willing and wanted the picture of her beaten, bruised, stitched up face to be shared um, after she wanted that to happen after the prosecutor struck a deal for almost no time and to be served on weekends because both the prosecutor and the judge felt like she had egged him on by not being with him anymore. So she was brave enough to say, you need to show what this looks like. And that changed the way the state handles response to domestic violence. And it was really a transformational moment. Domestic violence advocates started pairing up with police and they both understood what each other's job was in that situation. Um, so it's always evolving, but I do, the police definitely will continue to be um, a first responder. They just shouldn't also have to be the only mental health person. Exactly. Yeah, they, they need that backup. And so yeah. that's like NAMI was a fantastic, is a fantastic resource for that. Riverbend's done a lot in our, in my community here in Concord. Um, so they'll definitely continue. Yeah, those continue. are two different jobs. You know, very, two very different jobs. So moving on from that, uh, has it been busy at the state house still? <laughs> um, a little. Today was a doozy of a day. Um, there were six vaccine-related bills, five hours of testimony, and um, it was dominated by um, misinformation, cast as facts, tenuous connections between events like I got the vaccine and then I went to Florida and then I drank a coffee and then I got sick and then something worse happened. Um, so I know that the fear is real. I will say that. And I know that the fear comes from the vaccine, but there's so much misinformation out there that it's sort of, it's hard to cover because yeah. you don't want to amplify misinformation. You don't want to belittle people's true feelings. Um, and this kind of information is getting these bills passed. There's a sympathetic ear in the legislature. Um, and so I think it's important to, to put that information out there. But, but this is how testimony was starting today. My best friend's girlfriend's boyfriend had, or my cousin's teacher's daughter had. I was afraid you were going to say Cardi B, and I, I was like, we can't talk about that on the radio, which she brought up. Well, this will reveal my age, but it's like that Cars song, My Best Friend's Girlfriend. <laughs> well, that was playing through my head. My colleague, um, another outlet, tweeted me that or sent me that link. And I was like, right. So it's just very hard to cover responsibly, accurately, fairly. Um, so that that I'm writing a story for next week. It, it'll take me a bit to go through all that testimony. Um but you, you need to do it respectfully, but it also has to be honest and you can't just reprint misinformation. So it was interesting today. Yes. I, I feel like it's always, this is, this is a little more inside baseball and how your opinion over what, what kind of the culture is like at the, at the state house when it comes to the legislature. It, to me, it's always felt like there, there's been a little, uh, there, there's been a lot of oddballs. Let's put it that way. That that have been in, in New Hampshire government. You got to be kind of, you got to be of a certain mindset in order to find any desire to do this job. Where there's there's a lot of committees, and you got to be really motivated for one reason or another to be there. Do you feel like it's gotten worse? It feels like it's gotten worse these last few sessions. I mean, is it just COVID? Is it just the people that are there? Is it social media? 
Well, the sort of the, wow, I can't believe I just heard that moment. There's more of them. You know, I remember there was a time when a state rep years ago thought the Boston Marathon bombing was a hoax and she stood up on the floor and she said, so these kinds of things were making late night TV. So there's more of those kind of, oh my word. Um, I can't believe I just heard that moment. I think that COVID though, in this other way has made people much more engaged with the legislative process. Yeah. I hear again and again, people saying, this is the first time I've ever testified. This is the first time I've paid attention to politics. And so I think you have to think of that as a win. Um, I think you can't, we forget that in New Hampshire, it's, we have there's more than 900 bills this session. Every bill gets a hearing. You can testify on any of those bills. And that's uh, that's not that's not unique to New Hampshire, but it's rare. And I think people are taking advantage of that. So in many ways, I think there is a plus there. It doesn't make it easy to sometimes do the job, but I still think lawmakers, I'm seeing them respond the same way, taking testimony in the same way, not getting exasperated or not showing it. Um, and I had a concern about a bill just for professionally on a right to know issue. And I reached out to my the representatives on the committee. We had, a, you know, they they wanted to know what they didn't know, like what they need to understand about the bill. And that's how New Hampshire works. And I think people yeah. are taking advantage of that access. Um, it's just coming with a lot of maybe some misunderstanding of the actual information. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it, generally speaking, it's like th there's a lot of stuff with regards to how the, the system works and what exactly a law entails. Like I, it's mainly for me for my full-time job at the law school, being a staffer and doing communications work over there is the reason why I know 99% of what I know about the legal system and such. There's a real, I really should get Martha Madsen, who runs the uh, New Hampshire uh, Institute for Civics Education. She, she's great. And I, they do a lot of pro great programming over there about to talk about some of this stuff because it's, it's not properly taught. And nowadays with social media, where everyone has access to everything now, they're like, oh, I can speak to this and I know enough about this, but they don't necessarily know how this process works. And it's expensive to make sure there's training and staff and everything to make it all happen efficiently it it is it's um yes i would say yes uh, what i think is nice about the legislature here is none of these people have aids you have to get through you just look them up on the general court website and there's their phone number or their email and you contact them in other states good luck you would just go through aid after aid and you'd never get there so i think we have this open access i will say if anyone has an hour um, that they're looking for something to do it's really kind of interesting to go on youtube and look at the new hampshire house and the new hampshire senate youtube channels you can watch any hearing there live or after the fact and it's just a great understanding a great window in how government works and i think it would be a great education for anyone uh, to go on and watch that. And what an opportunity for schools. I don't know if they're yeah. using it, but wow, it's a great look at really, it's it's exactly how our government works here. 
Yeah, and for the New Hampshire Supreme Court, they finally upgraded their infrastructure a couple years ago too. Like they use Vimeo live stream, like anyone could just use. So it's it, it's it's nice having that access to everything. The new Gen Court website is is pretty darn good, and you can actually find it shows up in Google search results, which is nice now because it's properly trolled now. So that has to make your life a little bit easier there. Oh, I love that! I gave that website an A plus plus when it came out. It's so wonderful. You can get lost in it. It's like the old card catalog if anyone remembers that you'll be looking for one thing you get sidetracked by these 10 other things so the the website's so inviting that it's very easy to use you can go on and just in a couple of clicks register your position on a bill you can read a bill you can email a whole committee with one click Uh, so it is it's a great website um, and we have great access here so we shouldn't take that for granted so we just got a couple minutes left, but I'd love to touch on a little bit on the bill to undo vaccine registry requirements. Can you speak to that? Yes. So in New Hampshire, we were the last state in the country to get a vaccine registry, which is where they record things like what vaccine you got, when you got it, what lot of vaccine you got in case there's a problem. And so that just came on as the pandemic was hitting And during the state of emergency, you weren't allowed to opt out, meaning you couldn't say, no, I don't want to be included, which is otherwise required here. So about 790,000 people were vaccinated in that time. And there's a bill to require the state to reach back out to those people three times and say, do you want to be in or out? Do you want to withdraw your information? And if you don't hear from them or they say no, then their records are gone. And the problem from the state's point of view is that that's the only medical record of your vaccine because of the way it was administered during the emergency. So if you lose that, there goes your medical record. Um, So that's the first step. They wanna make sure all those people have a right to go back and say, um, keep me out of it. Then there's an effort to make it opt-in from the get-go, which is I'd have to try to convince you or ask you to include your information in this and i think being asked to join something rather than leave something is just a higher bar so there's a concern that not as many people will participate and then does it become a a not very useful public health tool yeah that's the very interesting thing when it came to how the vaccines were done because of it was a pandemic is you would go to a vaccine site you might go to a pharmacy you've never been to before so they don't necessarily have your records talking with your doctor's office a lot of pharmacies don't necessarily do that. Even if that is your regular pharmacy, they'll call your insurance, but they don't necessarily notify your provider. And a lot of people had a hard time keeping track of those vaccine cards because life, it, it, it's just hey. a crappy piece of paper, too. It isn't anything special. It wasn't even on, like, uh, nice index cards. It's just a piece of paper that was mass-produced. Right, and that's it. If you lose that and you got vaccinated at a state site, there goes your vaccine record. So in a year, they say, well, when did you get your last one? That's going to determine if you don't have your record. I would encourage people to go to the state's COVID dashboard page. It's Google it, I would say. I don't have the exact (laughs) thing in my head. I have it bookmarked. Um, And get your vaccine record and maybe transfer it to your doctor's office so that does live somewhere else other than in your wallet. Um, as a piece of paper. Yeah, like I'm a patient at Dartmouth Hitchcock. They've been yelling at me to submit it, so I submitted it through their through their portal. Uh, I'm a university employee, so I had to submit it to their 
portal so I could like continue to be employed because it's we're a federal contractor. Oh, um, yeah. So so be sure to and another tip is like if you don't necessarily have a doctor you want to send it to, you can scan it with your phone and just keep it as a picture. You can scan it on any photocopier. You can go down to Staples and, and scan it. You don't please don't make a million copies of your vaccine card, but you can copy it if you need to have a backup just in case. But right. Is. Right. The rules will change over time as we just talked about the chaotic nature of New Hampshire's government so definitely protect yourself on that alright you're listening to BKXL in the morning thank you so much to Anne-Marie Timmons for joining me this week and uh, we'll see you again in three weeks okay yes can't wait All right, this is WKXL in the morning I'm your host AJ Kirsten we'll be right back after this